Amen. Amen. Well, we've been taking some time over the last number of weeks, and we'll continue to do this, to kind of reorientate our lives and our hearts and our minds around Jesus and his way. We've talked about it being Jesus at the center. Uh, and I don't know about you, but in the new year, I love to take a moment just to reorientate my lives around what my life around what's important um, and what's uh, significant. And so we've been doing that as a church community. And over the last couple of weeks, we've looked at how um, Jesus is the center of our story, that he is the one that shapes the way we see the world through the scripture as we submit to it, as we seek to wrestle with it. Um, we talked last week about how Jesus is at the centre of our relationships, of our family, and articulated what does it mean for us to be a community of people called the church, one expression of the wider community of God's people in the world, and what does it mean to be formed together within family, and what does it look like for Jesus to be at the centre of that. And we're going to pick up on some of those ideas going forward and continue to unpack them together. Um, but this morning we're going to move on to Jesus at the centre of our worship. And, and we have a number of different foundations that are part of what guides us as a community. You can see them at the back. And this one's really looking at what does it mean to be formed by the Spirit. Um, but we're going to take a couple of weeks to do this one. Today I want to throw some thoughts out to you. Um, and uh, I want to stir your heart for something that's stirring my heart. And next week I want to pick up a little bit of what we've done and put it into action. Um, so I'll explain a wee bit more about that in a moment. Um, but we want to look at Jesus at the centre of our worship, and then we're going to look at Jesus at the centre of our lives or of our mission. And what does it mean to actually do that and to, to live that out? And I have this passion that sometimes is absent, but when it is burning in me, when I'm close to the Lord, when he's kind of stirring my heart for it, it is that you and I would know, know Christ deeply, that we would get to know him and be rooted in his love and formed by his spirit, in the way of Jesus, in the way of his life, in the way of the kingdom. And in a world that is forming you and me in so many different ways all of the time, sometimes consciously and unconsciously with ideas and values, some of which are kingdom values, many of which are in opposition to the way of Jesus, it can be a challenging thing to do that. And so increasingly my heart is, how do we as a community of people connected together, part of what God is asking us to do in this earth, how do we be formed deeply in the way of Jesus above all else? And central to that is this idea of how, is, how does Jesus become and, and stay as, center to, as central to our worship? And as we're in this scripture again, which I quoted a couple of weeks ago in 1 John uh, 2.17, which says, The world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God remains forever. And we live in a moment, a temporary moment, and what's in front of us in every day can feel like the most important and most dominant thing. And it can be overwhelming at times. Maybe it's the thing that you're responsible for. Maybe it's your workplace. Maybe it's the relationships that you have. Um, but the things that are in front of us are only a moment in comparison to what God is doing in the world through his kingdom. And I want to just take a few minutes to talk a little bit about this idea of the world and how it is vying for our worship. And... Jesus and his kingdom vying for our worship. And then I want to talk a little bit about what's on my heart with regards to that. The world is a, 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 a phrase that's used by some of the New Testament writers, particularly John and the Johannine tradition. That's a really hard way to say it, but any of his followers and kind of his writer, his, his followers and community used this language of the word. And for the New Testament writers, it wasn't uh, talking about the people. It was talking about a system of ideas 
um, which were empowered by spiritual forces expressed in human structures. I think I have a slide there, Abby, maybe that kind of depicts it um, a little bit in terms of how I understand it. I'll come back to that. Yeah, so this is what they're thinking about when they're, when they're using the word the world, when they're talking about the world. And um, it's a system of ideas that is empowered by unseen spiritual forces. This is a scripture story, I'll explain that in a moment. That actually only gets seen eventually as it's expressed in human structures, whether that's nations, whether that's governments, whether that's any kind of way that we organize. And in the scripture story, when we talk about the world and those system of ideas, they're always in opposition to Christ's rightful lordship over the cosmos, over the world, over his creation. And so there's always this battle going on in the unseen world between what has our worship. And the writers of the New Testament talk about the world, so they talk about not being, being in the world, but not of the world. In other words, we have to live in this present moment, but we are not to be formed by it. We are part of another world, which is the kingdom of God. I'll talk about that in a moment. They use this language that I wrote before. The world is passing away, but, the, but whoever does the will of God remains forever. So again, this combination between the world and its ideas and the kingdom of God and God's ideas. And the idea is this, if I was to say it very simply, is the world in that idea, the way the writers talked about it, is not neutral. It, it is the product of a hidden world of unseen forces behind real structures. And these language of John Mark Homer, he talks about deceptive ideas that plague disordered desires. So you'll see, like, that's just a, a picture that I help. I, I'm pictorial, I like to think things out in my mind, so some of you will find that helpful. But the idea is this, that these world structures, that for us who read the scriptures and believe in a spiritual world, it's not a neutral thing. There are things behind what we see that are at work. And so when you read any of the stories in the scripture, they're seeking to unravel that a little bit. You read any of the strange apocalyptic literature like Daniel, Revelation, strange, very difficult to decipher, but they're trying to help us grasp in some way what is going on in an unseen world behind the human structures at the time. For someone that was Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar and they see this oppressive human structure. And when Daniel is in prayer and seeing these visions, he's seeing these weird things, but it's a way to try and articulate that there is an unseen world that is behind some of these structures and uh, seen with Revelation. So what am I trying to get at? The idea is that the, the world is not neutral. Some of these structures are, are influenced by hidden forces. What is the goal? That we might bow down and worship someone or something other than Jesus as king. Okay, so that's the picture of the world. I've done a very botched, kind of short-term, simple explanation of a very complex idea. <laughs> so we, I'll let you talk over coffee about that. Um, do you want to move on to the next one, Abby? This is the other picture in the scripture. Sorry, the next one. Again. There you go. This is the other picture in the scripture, and I'll, I'll, I'll explain it. It's the other picture. It's, it's that there is a world system that is impacted by unseen forces. The language is this present evil world. And then there is another world which is called the kingdom of God or the future age or the kingdom of heaven. It is not just a system of ideas. It's actually a real thing. So it's a realm 
that actually influences a way. There is also another hidden element to that life, and that is not unseen spiritual forces that are seeking to form us in a negative way, but actually the Holy Spirit, God's literal spirit, given to those who trust in Christ, who give allegiance to Christ in worship, to actually form us in this way. And then the last bit is that it begins to get expressed in a different form of human structures, which is called the new humanity, of which the church is supposed to be an expression. Does that make sense when I put those two things together? Let me give you one more picture and then it'll make, it'll make a little bit more sense. I know this is pretty uh, heavy duty for Sunday morning, but it, hopefully it'll make sense to what I'm trying to do with us. The reality is we live in both these realities all the time. And there is a number of things that are crossing over. We are living in a world which is full of a system of ideas, oftentimes influenced by unseen spiritual forces, seeking and vying for our allegiance all the time. For our trust, for our devotion, for the devotion of our emotions, our mental energy, our spiritual energy, our resources. And then we're also part of a new community, a new kingdom reality called the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, a realm or a way in which Jesus is inviting us to be formed by his spirit and to express that new reality in a new humanity. And those two things are coexisting together. We live in a world, but we're also of another world. And so that's why oftentimes when we talk about worship, it's actually a battleground for our heart. So all I'm doing there is trying to give us a little bit of insight into that. And the way the, the, the biblical story describes this is the world, which is pictured through this city called Babylon, so right from the very beginning in Genesis, there's this tar called Babel. I don't know if you've heard this story. And it's a product of human endeavor, human beings coming together apart from God to build something great. And it's called the Tower of Babel, or in Hebrew, Babylon. Daniel, another writer who gets taken into exile into a city called Babylon, a literal place in Persia. And he has series of visions and the visions i don't know if you've ever read them they're really hard to understand and very difficult to articulate but one of those visions is of a statue which is a series of nations babylon being the top a gold statue and um, there's uh, iron and clay in it there's bronze it's, it's depicting some of the nations that were there at the time and that were coming before christ and in the dream this mountain uh, stone comes from a mountain, it rolls down and it gathers peace and it smashes all the other kingdoms. And the picture is this kingdom of God coming over and against all of the kingdoms of this world opposed to Christ and setting up a new kind of kingdom, the kingdom of God that will last forever and that will be unending. And so in the middle of this picture, there's these two ideas of kingdom. If you go to the book of Revelation, I'm not going to unpack it for you this morning, but again, the last kind of climax of this is pictured as a battle between Babylon and Eden. Two things vying for our attention, human structures that are empowered by spiritual forces in the unseen realm and the kingdom of God looking for our attention. If you read Psalm 2, uh, one of the Psalms that Jesus reads or, or uses, he talks about this picture. He says, 
Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain against the Lord and against his holy anointed one, his Messiah? It pictures this kind of battle going on in the unseen realm between the ideas empowered by unseen forces and the way of Jesus. It's to do with our worship. Does this make sense as a picture? I'm just trying to give us a little bit of understanding based on what we've talked about over the last number of weeks to help me grasp why is this oftentimes a battleground? When I seek to give allegiance to Christ in every area of my life, why do I feel like it's challenging? And the whole story of the Bible, if you want to put it in the context of worship, is really a story of God seeking out a people for himself who will give wholehearted allegiance to him and bow the knee in trusting him. And that is worship. Does that make sense? It's always what he's looking for. And when Jesus comes, he comes into a system of ideas. Some of them are religious. So the world, that language can mean a whole host of different things. Some of those are religious ideas. Some of those were cultural ideas. Some of those were ideas in the Roman system. It wasn't about the people. It was about the things that were behind that. And Jesus comes and he says, the kingdom of God is near. Therefore, repent. Lay down the ways that you have been formed by the ideas around you, religious, cultural, whatever they are, that are not in keeping with God and his kingdom and begin to give allegiance to me. And this is not a political movement. It's not like, right, let's rile against the, the Roman oppressor and bring our own idea. This isn't a political movement. It's a loving movement of surrender to God and his kingdom. Does that make sense? And so when we talk about worship, it's an issue of a heart devotion to who God is and to what he's like. Pause for a moment. That's a lot of ideas and a lot of thoughts. I'm trying to kind of give you something of the story of God. What I want to talk about for the last 10 minutes or so is this idea of what it means to be moved by the Spirit. What does it mean for us to be responsive to the movement of the Spirit in this moment, in this place? Because the Spirit is the one who embodies and empowers worship. He is the one in this moment who seeks to capture our hearts for Jesus as King and to empower us to live in his way. He is our experience of the kingdom. And everywhere that the Spirit is at work, He is seeking to do one thing, to establish the rule of Jesus wherever He is. So if it's maybe in our personal lives, when the Holy Spirit is moving in us, He is seeking to establish His rule over our heart. Maybe He's moving in a community. What is He doing when He's doing that? He's seeking to establish the rule of Jesus over that community. And wherever the rule of Jesus comes, there is human flourishing, healing, transformation, reconciliation in relationships, hope, goodness, and experience of this future kingdom of God in this moment. And so when we talk about being a community that are moved by the Spirit, what we're really talking about is allowing the Holy Spirit to invite us to give him, give Jesus our worship. Does that make sense? And about a week ago, I was uh, reading an old journal. I was tidying up. And I found a journal from 2012. I can't believe I've been re- writing stuff for that long. And, but I started to read it curiously. And uh, it was strange, you know, dropping back. What's that? 
10 years. Yeah, it seems like a long time, but it's probably not. And it was a period in our life before church planning, and yet it was this moment where I felt like over a period of a couple of months, God was speaking to me about this idea of worship and what it meant to wholeheartedly follow him and give him my devotion and have a life that was centered on Christ. And, and he was addressing certain things in my life where I was not giving him full allegiance or I was not devoting my heart to him. And during this time, I had a dream. God often speaks to me in dreams, and I don't always understand them at the time, and then like years later, sometimes they seem to make a lot of sense. And But I've written this dream down, I've totally forgotten about it. And when I read it, it, it made total sense to me in this current moment. And I, I would, in the dream, I was reading Psalm, 1 Samuel 14, 7, which is the story of Jonathan, in the moment where the Israelites are against the enemy Palestinians. Not Palestinians, Philistines, sorry, yeah. uh, are against the Philistines. And what happens in that moment is uh, he is on his own. He's the only one with a sword. And he, he feels this urge to, to make himself known to the enemy and boldly just to do something courageous and to step out in a moment that either means death or victory. There's no option. It's like there's a kind of no middle ground. And so he says to his armor bearer, he has his, uh, he's with him, and says, Look, I feel like this is what I'm supposed to do. And his armor bearer says to him, do whatever is in your heart to do. Just go for it. And that, that verse had significance to me, which is another story for another day, about this idea of standing up in a moment with courage for the things of God. And I, in the dream, what happened was I was in this place, um, which was my old kind of, uh, church in uh, growing up where I had grown up reading the scripture learning about God and in the, the, the dream it was in a set of foundations and, and I know this is a little bit weird but if you read the Bible it also gets a little bit weird so just go with me for a minute and I'll try and explain it um, in the dream I, I heard someone shout out to me I was standing in these foundations I heard someone shout out to me what do I call out for that was the, what they shouted to me what do you call out for I heard it and uh, what am I supposed to stand up for? And I saw someone point to my arm. I know this is weird, but just go with me. Trust me, you know I'm normal most of the time. So um, there was a red flame tattooed on my arm. And the person that was calling this out shouted, fire. Call out for fire. So in the dream, I began to call out fire. And then I, the presence of God came upon me and I fell to the ground. And then I woke up. Strange dream, right? Really, really strange. Um, but then I was reading that last week and I'm trying to pay attention to these little things and maybe it's just me creating meaning. I'm totally aware of that. But maybe it's the Lord a little bit too. Um, I was listening to a series of podcasts, um, a, this cultural moment, which is worth a listen to. It's interesting. It's kind of cultural commentary. Um, but for some reason it kind of jumped forward about eight sessions to this one session, which was a recording, it wasn't a podcast, it was a recording from a, a talk that uh, Mark Sayers had done a, a series of, with a series of leaders um, pre-COVID. So it was just maybe January, February 2019. And uh, as I listened to it, I immediately became aware that what he was speaking about was something that I needed to pay attention to. And the dream that I had came to mind and I, I just, it felt like one of those holy moments where he was given language to something that God had put in my heart. So I want to share you a, a seven minute kind of my version of what he said. And it's not uh, really speaking to your mind. That was what I did for a moment there, just to give you a little bit of context. What it is, is speaking to, to, to the heart. 
And it's this idea that when we talk about the movement of the Holy Spirit, and I am deeply passionate about seeing the movement of the Holy Spirit in our day, like all of you are, I know that. Um, but something that's been stirring in me and I've been noticing is that looks a little bit different potentially than what has happened before. And so in this dream, there's this idea of foundations and fire. And what Mark started to talk about was this notion of form and fire. And so I just want to share it with you. I feel like it's something significant to what it means for our worship and you'll hopefully make sense of it as we go. Uh, but he spoke about how there seems to be a pattern in the, the liturgy uh, that he'd read or the literature he'd read on renewals of the Holy Spirit. Renewals being revival moments, key moments throughout history where God is moved by his spirit in a way that has brought supernatural and significant transformation beyond human effort. So that's a renewal moment, something significant in a moment that's needed. And it seemed to trend in two different directions. So in all the literature that he read, there were two different uh, types of renewal, he calls it. And one was, one series of renewals were all based around this idea of release. So um, the spirit comes and he comes with power and stuff happens. And many of you have had experiences of that. You've read stories of that. We've talked about that here before. You might think of the Hebridean revival in the, 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 highlands, of Scotland, or the highlands of Scotland, where God, a, a couple of older ladies, gather to pray, and then God begins to move in that place in a profound way that is unexplainable. People so much so that they're walking in a field and they fall to their knees under the power of God, weeping at their sin, with no one talking to them. Um, people come into the police station to confess sins because they just felt this conviction. Just a, a, an unusual amount of Holy Spirit activity that transformed a community in a moment. Um, you could talk about the Pentecostal revival, Sousa Street at the turn of the century, um, where God moves in a profound way in, um, and it begins to affect the whole of the church. It begins to affect mission in so many different kinds. And many of you have been touched by the impacts or the, the ramifications. But you could talk about the Car Catholic Charismatic Movement, you could talk about the Vineyard, which was a moment where God moved in power on a group of burnt-out religious people, and he did something profound that was not possible apart from human effort. Moments of release, fire, right? That's a movement of the Holy Spirit. Many of you have tasted moments of that, and we long for that, and we need it. Other renewals, seem to be built around this quieter rhythm of building. So the example of that might be Benedict in the Dark Ages. As the world is falling into collapse, Roman Empire for a century has been kind of de deconstructing and after its centuries-long decline, eventually uh, falls and Europe descends into a collection of warlords and factions and, and culture becomes utterly chaotic. And in that moment, Benedict builds an order, like a patterned life, utterly different to the chaos around him, patterned around meeting together to pray. Becomes a center of stability in a world that is falling apart and it begins to gain a magnetic power. And around this prayer pattern, life and commerce and learning begin to grow. And you could speak of the monks here in Ireland. I don't know if you ever read, you know, how the Ireland changed history. 
perhaps a little biased, but beautiful book if you're in any way associated with this island. And you can talk about the saints from here, St. Conkill and Iona, and many of his contemporaries who began to hold on to the Gospels and literature in a moment where everybody was burning it. And you got the Book of Kells in Trinity College, Dublin, which is an example of that movement of people who, in a time where everything is chaotic and nobody knows quite where to put their feet, they hold to something, a patterned life around the way of Jesus, keeping things alive. And then they go out into Europe to repopulate the way of Jesus. The monasteries in the Middle Ages become places of renewal, places of stability and order in a chaotic world. A safe and stable path in a world that has no idea where it is walking. Two types of renewal, form and fire. And uh, scribes in, in, uh, in Wesley, who many of you know, he's the founder of Methodism in the 18th century. We see this intriguing mix um, together, form and fire, um, and this idea that a bird needs two wings to fly. And the question that Mark threw, and I, that just hit me like a ton of bricks, is what if the next renewal movement of the spirit is a combination of both, both form and fire, one that needs release, but also needs restraint where people are being set free because the power of God is moving in their life to break things that have held them for long and yet are also being set free through the patterns, the settings of patterns and practices that form them in the way of Jesus. Um, Wesley was an example of this. Whitfield, a great evangelist who was also around in the Wesley time, probably more gifted than Wesley in speaking up front. Um, said as it's told that I don't know how much this is rumor and truth but anyway it's told that he said to Wesley you know I can save the people but then my followers fall through my fingers like sand and the genius of Wesley was that he took the revival and renewal energy and he developed patterns and forms where people could work that through in their lives over time and it feels like a moment where we need this where we need release to happen. I don't know about you, but I know there are areas in my life, there are areas in this community, in the things that God wants to do that need release. That without the powerful movement of the Holy Spirit to bring about a significant change in a moment, it's not gonna happen. We also need moments of rebuilding, of forming patterns in our life that hold us in a moment of chaos. Form and fire. You don't need a renewal movement that's going to be a flash in the pan where it's going to create a moment and a momentum um, but then kind of peter out and not leave real human transformation and community transformation. We need something that not only brings release but also builds something that actually transforms generations of people. We need both renewal, fire, form of fire together. You know, when we first uh, came to kind of respond to what God was doing specifically with us, to join what he was already doing here in Derry and beyond that, we came with this simple conviction um, and question, I think, which was, what would it look like for Jesus to have his way 
and I had all these passions for how that would be a movement of the power of the Holy Spirit and that would be just like, you know, God moving in people's lives and it would transform and have an impact and I still long for that and see that and have seen that over the time. But I realized more and more as we seek and long for kingdom impact, community transformation, people being set free, healed, restored, brought into relationship with others, reconciliation across different um, community divides, to see God's kingdom really take shape in the lives of humanity here. That that not only requires the movement of God's power through things like release and fire, but actually it requires a group of people who have patterned their lives after the way of Jesus and given allegiance to Jesus as King with wholehearted worship. And I know that every time I return to that dream of what is it God wants to do, he immediately starts to call my heart to fresh devotion of worship to him. And he immediately starts to put his finger on areas that are not submitted to his story or not offered to his trust. And like, I don't want to do some cultural commentary. You can go and listen to that story. And uh, and Mark Sayers does a wonderful job of talking about these generations, millennials, Generation Z, and so on, and and the ways that they are not necessarily like we have been or like people before us being learned through their own structures, the patterns that we need to grow. Um, And actually, yeah, there's this movement of people, young people, back to prayer and back to the scripture, and back to simple rhythms of devotion to Christ and to his kingdom. Timothy 2 says this, um, If anyone cleanses himself from what is unfit, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, that is, set apart as holy, useful to the master, prepared for every good work, And then he gives this encouragement to Timothy. Flee from youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace together with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. God has always formed his people throughout history in this way, through the power of the Holy Spirit and through deep formation to Jesus. And what has perhaps been something that is deep taking our eye in the church as a ministry model has been much more about something that goes wide but not always goes deep. Something that looks like it's great in a moment, maybe goes a million miles wide but is only a couple of inches deep. And so it does not hold water in the long run. We need people and churches and movements who go, who are formed in the way of Jesus. And where that starts, the biblical word for that, is through our worship, through a recalibrating of our hearts towards Christ and his kingdom as central to the thing that rules our lives, the thing that captures our attention, the thing that guides our decisions and that holds our devotion. And it's described in the, the story of the Bible as a remnant. Maybe you heard that word before. But God does this all the time calls Abraham, calls Moses out of people, calls Abraham out of, calls Israel out of the nations to be an example of a community who are formed in his image and worship him. And then when Israel goes toxic, 
He calls a remnant out of Israel. He calls the church to be an example of his worship and expression of his kingdom in the earth. And when the church goes toxic, he calls a remnant out of the church here, willing to give their allegiance to Christ as Lord and to his kingdom. It's inclusive in that it doesn't matter who you are that you can join. Like it doesn't matter what your background, what your story, what your experience, what you uh, have done, where you have been. It doesn't matter. It is open to all. That invitation of Jesus to the Lord is open to all. You look at the followers of Jesus from all walks of life. His heart for, for people from all nations. But it's exclusive in the sense that it, it, it's centered around people whose hearts are after God. That's the simple invitation. That is the call. It's not anything more or anything less. And the challenge in this world is where there's so many things vying for our attention, good and not so good. There's so many stories looking for our allegiance and our worship, seeking to shape us and form us. The invitation of Christ is to be shaped after his way. The invitation is to not be shaped by some of our religious traditions that are forming us not in the way of Christ, but into some other mold. They're actually forming us into some kind of political wing of a religious sect or into some other thing. And the invitation of Jesus to us is to lay down some of those ideas that are more cultural than they are the way of Jesus and to, to offer devotion to him. That was his invitation in the moment of early century Palestine. Like, see these pharisaical sects? The way they are forming you is not the way of my father. Mm-hmm. He called them out. But then he also called those who are being shaped in keeping with another cultural world system, a set of ideas that neither were they the way of Jesus. And we tend to go to religiosity or irreligiosity. And Jesus invites us to come to him in worship and to lay ourselves down and to lie every idea that we have to be put before him and submitted to him. And that's a daily re-patterning, a daily formation in the way of Jesus that we all need. Like I have so many areas in my life that are shaped and misformed by ideas that are not the way of Jesus. And every time I read the scripture, I read the gospel, he calls me to something different, to something higher, and I have to lay down my ideas, my control, the things that I think are the way to do it, and recognize that I need to put that at your feet and give you my allegiance afresh. What does that look like in our response to Christ? Well, next week I want to take some time to actually give room to this. So rather than just, I've set out some desires and deep passions in me, what I want to do is create space after we send the kids out to just worship together. And they get, so bring a journal with you, bring uh, something that you will find helpful. And I'm going to give space in an experience of worship through song to actually invite Jesus to call us afresh to worship him. And for you, that will be specific. Like it might be there are things in your life that he's inviting you to lay at his feet. It might be that there are things that are weighing on your heart that he wants you to trust him with. 
it'll be a moment just to respond. It might be that there are patterns in your life that you need to set up to form you again in the way of Jesus. There may be patterns in your life that you need to abandon because they're not helping form you after the worship of Jesus. And so I want to create a space for that in a, in a week where it can be difficult to find it, where we're together to actually respond to that. And so I'm going to share five minutes, seven minutes on this idea of high places in the story of the scripture. And then we're going to do some interactive stuff to respond to that. And so what I'd love to do just to finish is just to give you those three things that are there. How do we respond to this invitation? First one is just to pray. Like, God, what does it look like for me to, to respond to you? Next week, we're going to look at what does it look like to actually make decisions of faith in response to that. And then, of course, we can't do that in our, on our own. The heart is that we do that together. Um, so we want to look to pray for one another in that. There's much being in my heart in this. I, I shared a snippet of all that I want to share, but I think it's enough. Um, I would love to invite you to stand for, for me.